what Easter is about. And so this morning is about Christ on that road, the supremacy of Christ, right? They see him for who he is, and they all shout at the top of their voices, blessed is the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. There's a passage in Colossians that talks about the supremacy of Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. This is still Jesus, right? And in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, supreme, For in Christ, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. That's Christ, the supremacy of Christ above all names, above every title, above every rule, above every authority. And there's this one moment, and I don't know whether they all got it, but there's this moment where earth heard the true praise of Christ on the way up to Jerusalem. You know, I was reading this past week uh, about Christ and the, the supremacy of Christ, that idea, and our denomination was started by a guy named A.B. Simpson. And uh, A.B. Simpson back, lived back in the 1800s into the 1900s. And there's one thing that he said when you, when you look at the gospel, it's not exclusive, but he said there are four major themes as he read through the, through the gospels about Christ. And he called it the fourfold gospel. It's an old word, but it's, there's four themes about Christ. Christ, our Savior, meaning he's, the supremacy of Christ could be boiled down to these four things. The, Christ, our Savior, Christ, our Sanctifier, Christ, our Healer, Christ our coming king. He said those are the themes that you see woven through his life and his ministry and are still rolling into our lives today. And so I want to look at those four things. And uh, I've, I've borrowed heavily from Simpson as we've gone through this and I'm, I've rolled in some of my things too, but he articulated some things and I like the way he did it. And so I just want to give credit to him uh, after all, he did start this whole denomination thing, so it, it, it kind of works. Um, so here we go. What are we saved from? If we start to talk about Christ our Savior, salvation is the essence of this. And what are we saved from? We're saved from the guilt of sin, the liability that comes with that guilt, the punishment that comes with that guilt. We're saved from the wrath of God, God's anger against sin. He hates evil and he will punish it. We are saved from the curse of the law. The FBI, the police, will pursue a lawbreaker, and we saw that yesterday, uh, until they catch the offender. They will, and, and it's, it's a reflection of God's law. His law finds us guilty and will hunt us down, and we're protected or saved from the curse that comes from breaking the law. We're saved from an evil conscience. You ever walk around this past week with remorse, with past guilt? You ever feel condemned? We're saved from that. We're saved from an evil heart. Our very nature is evil. 
Jesus' love saves us from that. We're delivered from the power of Satan, his kingdom. We're freed from the fear of death. Death now is a simple doorway to everlasting life with Christ. We're saved from eternal death, that place of everlasting judgment. What does salvation bring to us? It brings justification, the standing before God as if we'd never sinned. Righteous. It brings us into the favor and love of God. We are now his daughter. We are now his son. Period. Salvation gives us a new heart. Uh, the Bible says we're a new creation. We are now a saint. And so when we sin, we are no longer called sinners. We are now called saints who sometimes sin. It's a big difference. Identity, the nature of who we are, is literally changed. He gives us salvation to, for grace, right? Or salvation gives us grace to live each day, rather. And the next day, and the next day. I, I love it. He not only brings us out of prison, but then he gives us the means, the ability to stay out of prison by grace. Salvation brings us into the presence of God who lives within us, right? And he's there. He's helping us. He's guiding us. Salvation brings us into God's providence. What do I mean by that? His plan, his his sovereignty is this thing that works for those who love him and are called to him. And he says, I will work all things out for good. That's what salvation brings to us. That sovereign plan that says, yeah, this was meant for evil, but watch me turn this into something spectacular. What is the process of salvation? Now, and as we go through this, uh, he's not saying this is complete and this is everything. I know some of you are taking our theology class and you're going through the uh, official Latin word would be the ordus salutis, the order of salvation and what do theologians say this is. So he's not trying to take a theological statement. He's saying this is part of what it is, the process of salvation. It's by the mercy and the grace of God. That's how this whole process gets started. For by grace... It's by the righteousness of Jesus, meaning he lived this out perfectly. He obeyed the law of God, the will of the Father, perfectly. Salvation starts, or the next part of that is by the death of Jesus. He was crucified, representing us, being our substitute. It's by the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection was a sign that the Father accepted his sacrifice and his substitution for us. It's the guarantee that salvation can work. And it comes through Jesus, who is now interceding for us at the Father's right hand. It comes through the grace of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus has sent to us to keep us in his path of salvation. The salvation comes by the message of the gospel. This. This is where we hear about Christ and the good news. Accepting that starts that or begins that life of salvation. Why is this good news? Because of its value. When you look at what happens with salvation, it's weighed down with all kinds of blessings. With all, when you think about what Christ is giving us, it's, it's blessings is such a small word for what Christ does for us. What's the good news, or why is it the good news? Because of its freedom. Anyone can have this. It's free. There's no price to pay to get it. It's availability. There's, there's no caste system. 
There's no hierarchy, meaning some are out and some are in. It's available to all, and, and that goes along with it's universal. Anyone, whosoever believes, whatever country, whatever language, whatever people group. And also it's the good news because of the security of its blessing. Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will not die. You can't lose this. Because of all these things, Paul writes that passage in Colossians about the supremacy of Christ and he is above all rule and all authority. He says it again in Ephesians and all power and every title that can be given or every name that could be out there in the past and the present and in the future. Far above any religion, far above any spiritual leader. There is no one that comes close to who Christ is. He's our Savior. He's not only our Savior, he's our sanctifier. And what is sanctification? Well, this is what it's not. Sanctification is not like salvation uh, in the sense that salvation is the building of the house and doing the house and building all the right way on the right foundation. Sanctification, and the owner comes to live, but sanctification is the owner stays. The owner is in charge of it. And often what happens as Christians is we, we build the house, we get on the right foundation, and we stop right there. And we don't realize we're to live with the owner of the house forever. And we stop with the salvation. We got it, we got it good. We're, we'll take it from here. Sanctification is not also a morality plan or a self-improvement plan as if we can improve our character. It's not our own work. The premise of salvation was, I can't do it, I need to be saved. Sanctification is not, I got it from here. Sanctification is, I still can't do it. I still need you. It just keeps rolling. What is sanctification? It is literally, technically, Separation from sin, set apart from sin, Satan, this fallen world. We are to be sanctified, set apart. Sanctification means dedication to God. Your will be done. Sanctification means conform to the likeness of Jesus. That's why we take up this name Christian. We are little Christs. Sanctification is conformed to his will, obedient, submissive. When his will comes, we don't stiffen up and bounce off. We are conformed. We yield. Sanctification means love. It is the expression, the strongest feature of sanctification, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The source of sanctification, just like salvation, purchased on the cross by Christ. Bible literally says we are sanctified by the body of Jesus Christ. Our efforts also, it's not by our efforts, sanctification is by rights. In the sense that the source of it is transferred over to us, we can be set apart. It is our right to be claiming this as his son, as his daughter. Comes through the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. 
See, he doesn't put righteousness in us from afar and just deposit it. He brings his presence in. His presence is the righteousness that we have. How do we get this? It's a crisis of the will. And what do I mean by that? Over and over you see in Scripture these moments in people's lives where God brings them to the point where they can't do it, where they have to surrender, where they have to choose. And it's a crisis because will it be my way or God's way? And, and these are believers. You see this even happen after salvation. You see believers hitting these moments where they go, what am I going to do? My will or your will? And that's why we call it a crisis, right? Because it's a crisis. Uh-oh. What am I going to do now? How do we get this? God has to bring us to that point. He has to bring us to that point where we see that, that he is our only path forward. This can come when we ask for it, would you go like, why would you ask for that crisis? Well, because of what all salvation brings, right? All the blessings, all the favor, all of that. That's why we would ask that. It also comes in discipline. When we don't ask for it. And that'll leave a mark. How do we get it? We see Christ as the one who sanctifies us. We clearly see, oh, Lord, help me. I can't even produce this righteousness that you call me to have. I can't even set myself apart. I need you to do that, even after I've been saved. And how do we do it? We surrender our control, right? Definitively, thoroughly, for that moment. And then tomorrow will come, and we'll have to do it again. And then the next crisis will come, your will or mine, and we'll have to do it again. It just never stops. And then we, by faith, believe. We believe he can do it. Christ, our Savior, Christ, our Sanctifier, Anybody in this room stop at salvation and you're stuck? Like you got there and then it's just like, ugh, it was all clear and now it's just like, you feel like you're back almost to where you were. Any of us this week chosen the wrong path of that crisis where we know, we know what he's saying, we know his will, we know the path, and we still just go, ah, or we don't feel like we can. Or, I mean, the, the reality is, on a given morning, there are people sitting here, and if you're not here sitting this way or feeling this way today, you know you're just saying, thank you, Jesus. Because how many times have, have we come into this room or a room like this to worship God, and we go, I don't deserve to be here? I don't even know why I'm here because of what I was doing this past week or just the way my heart is right now, right? I'll say it. 
And we come back to these moments and we go, why am I here? Why am I allowed to be here? And Christ says, that's a great place to be. Let me give you that answer. It is by grace. And you're here, and I'm going to forgive you, and we're going to meet, and I'm going to help you, and we're going to do this again. Now let's do this again. Come to me again. He set the whole thing up so that we would need him. That's how it's all set up. And if you feel defeated, and if you feel like, man, I don't deserve to be here, join the club. But if you are saved, by rights, you can be here, and you can ask the Savior again, set me apart. You know what brings God so much glory and so much worship is when we actually ask him and come back to him and lean on him and say, I need you again and again and again. It just never gets old to him. He loves it. So what I want to do this morning, I invite the team to come back up. We're just going to spend some time and if you need to just do that and just say, okay, God, look, I need to clean this slate here. There's stuff I need to confess. Just do that right now. If you are locked in with Christ and this has been a good week or a good month or a good year, sit back and just say, thank you, Jesus. More, more, I want more. Let it be our heart cry as we come and we worship this God. It's one thing to say and shout, blessed be. It's another thing in the quietness of our heart to say, I love you, I need you. Man, his presence is here. (laughs) When God comes with his presence, it's not just like a yahoo, what a great moment. It's a, oh Lord, What do you want to do? When God shows up, when God manifests, or not just here in the sense of always everywhere, but in the sense of here, like he wants to do something this morning. I think a question we could be asking you as we go through this is, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do you have for me today? Because he is here. Our guard is down, which is a good thing for him. Our guard is down between him. The walls are down. We're open. There's two other thoughts, themes about Christ. Our Savior, our Sanctifier, these last two we're going to talk about and then go back into a time of worship. Um, the next one is this idea that Christ is our healer. Christ is our healer. It comes out of Isaiah 53 when it starts to talk about this prophecy of this coming Messiah. It says in Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
there is healing that's embedded within the gospel. It's embedded in Christ himself. And as we look at Isaiah, it says this. What's interesting is in Matthew, Jesus actually quotes Isaiah. It says this in Matthew chapter 8. When evening came, many who were demonically possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word. And he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. See, the context is healing. Isaiah 53 says he's coming and he's going to not only take our sins and the judgment, but he's also going to take our sickness. And Matthew 8 gives the proper interpretation. Whenever scripture interprets scripture, you're solid. You can take it to the bank. So what is divine healing? Divine healing is divine power poured into our bodies to restore health the way it was supposed to be. This isn't medical, this isn't human, this isn't anything out there, this is divine, divine power. It's part of the work of the cross, as Isaiah 53 said. It's possible through the resurrection. You're hearing the themes. It comes by grace. It is received by faith. It comes by grace, yet is received by faith. What does Christ heal? Well, he heals anything that has been affected by the fall or the curse or sin. So he heals our minds. He heals our emotions. He heals our spirit. He heals our bodies. Divine power to heal what is broken or what is sick. God clearly unequivocally teaches that he didn't just come to save us from sin. He came to heal us. That's how his supremacy extends over all of it. Is it for today? Yes. Throughout the New Testament, not only in Matthew, but in other contexts where he sends out the 12 and then the 72, and then you go into Acts where you see healing happening in the early church. And then Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians that there's actually spiritual gifts of healing built or put into the body to build up the body and to bring healing. And there's more passages, and never once do you see Christ roll back this teaching. It's just left there as teaching for us to simply believe and to walk in. Let me just say that there is healing. There is another piece of this. Is this for today? Yes. Is it according to his will? That's the question. Ultimately, yes, we have healing. We will have perfect healing in heaven. And there is this there is this question we must ask, Lord, what is your will? His will is for healing. 
It is by grace, it is received through faith. I think a lot of us may come from traditions where we weren't taught this about healing, and so when we see the extremes over there, we go, yeah, I'll pass on that. Those guys, the faith healers and all that, whatever that is, that's just way out there. Perhaps, I would say most of us are so far from that we would never be accused of being close to that. And what Christ would have us do is to step out in faith and receive it. And many of us never even take that step. And we'll go to medicine, we'll go to whatever without coming to Christ first and saying, wait a minute, if he's over all of this, if he wants healing, then why wouldn't I go to him first? Christ may be asking you to step out in that faith and receive. He's our healer. When you think about that, it's just, it, it's, um, the supremacy of that. Our Savior, our Sanctifier, he, he's our healer. There's this idea as you start to look at world religions and faith systems, Christ just keeps checking these things off and saying, I'm doing them. I'm, I'm better. I'm higher. I'm more powerful. There is no other name. There is no other being. There is no other system that can do what I do. There isn't. It's not even close. The fourth and final idea here that Simpson taught, and, and he looked at these themes, he said the last one is this idea of Christ is our coming king. I love this one. I love them all. I love this one. What is this? Well, Christ, when he ascended into heaven, he said, hey, look out, I'm coming back. And then you see throughout the New Testament more and more teaching about what that, that return will be like. And we, we talk about Revelation, and we have movies out like Left Behind and book series and all that that talk about when Christ returns. What is included in his return? This isn't everything, but these are the biggies. Christ descends from heaven. There will be several raptures, depending on what you believe. Uh, our church isn't going to die over this. I'm a big fan of the first rapture because I want to get out of here. Um, so, uh, yeah, join in wherever you want to. The wrath of God is also expressed in the tribulation, which is why I'm a big fan of being before the, the rapture, before the tribulation. I'm just a way big fan of it. Not sure if that's right. About a seven on it out of ten, maybe six. You put a gun to my head, I'm at a one. Um, <laughs> Uh, the climactic battle at the end of that of Armageddon where God and Satan have this, you know, it is the big battle out on the valley of, it's literally this valley out there in Israel where it all happens and Christ defeats Satan. And that's the beginning of the thousand year reign. And the other element is the, the judgment seat of Christ. There's two different judgments that happen, but the reality is every person Believer or those who don't believe will face that judgment seat and will have to give account for their lives. Those are the, the core elements of the return of Christ. What are the promises as believers that we hold on to? Number one, we will rule with Christ. It's a promise. 
those who believe in him, those who have suffered for him, will rule with Christ on earth. Paul wrote it. John saw it. We will rule with Christ. The other biggie, these aren't all the, these aren't obviously limited. I'm just picking these two. There's, a, there's all, obviously many. The other one is Christ will reverse the curse when he comes back. That's a promise to hold on to. He says it over in Revelations chapter 20. It says this. John saw the new heaven, a new earth. This is after Christ. The battle's done. He's now reigning. And John heard this voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I don't know about you, there is this picture it's a vivid picture. You ever have a moment where you are in tears and it's sorrow, it's not happiness, it's pain, it's grief, it's loss. There's this intimate picture, he says, where he will wipe away every tear. Has anybody ever come up to you? I mean, as a child, you know, when I had my, my kids who were little, we, we would do that and say, it's okay. It's that tender thing where Christ, can you imagine Christ coming up to you in your sorrow and just, he's wiping the tears, going, no more, no more tears. Like that, you don't let people into that space, right? You don't let people touch your face when you're weeping. And yet Christ comes up and he holds your face and he goes, no more Christ. No more tears. And it's not to shut it down. It's just no longer there. I love the no more list. You got a no more list? I got a no more list. It keeps getting longer. Yeah, I added one yesterday. Lynn was uh, telling a story, but it was, it was just true. Um, he just saw this old guy that was up there in the neighborhood, and he just was defeated. He's like, why are you guys doing this? They're just going to come tomorrow and dump more trash. I can't wait for that day when you see a whole group of people that have been defeated no longer be defeated. You see a whole neighborhood that's given up. 
Nicole. No more giving up. No more lost causes. No more poverty. You got your list? I've got mine, and, and Christ says, when I come, there will be no more. The fundamental hope of us as Christians, Paul says, is to look for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for it. We're ready for it. When is it coming? Jesus said, you won't know. You don't know. There's some signs, but I'm still going to come when you don't expect me. I'll be like a thief in the night. And he says, just be ready. And are you ready? Have you given up? Have you stopped looking? He says, be ready. Because when that day comes, it says, the Bible says, there will be a trumpet this whole world will hear. The note will go out. The battle sound from that trumpet will play, and it will be clear. The note of the coming king. And he won't come in swaddling clothes. He's going to come in royal clothes. He's not going to ride on a donkey. He's going to be riding on a battle horse, the white horse. It's not going to be with farm animals and shepherds. It is going to be with the war host of heaven. The archangels, as heralds, go out. The saints of God follow him, and he will come as the king of kings. Not as a baby. He will come as the Lord of lords. Not as a, just a carpenter. And he will win. The very last words of the Bible after Jesus has said all this and given this vision to John, he says to John, I'm coming soon. To which John said, Come quickly. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready right now? We're going to spend these last moments. Invite the team to come back up. If you're not ready, there are people here up front afterwards that would love to talk to you about how you get ready. If you need healing, there are people up here that would love to pray for you for healing. Let's worship Christ.